Hello and hey there. Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast. Join us as we share our personal top five lists for a variety of topics. Each episode, we will explore a new topic and discuss our favorite picks ranging from music, movies, food, travel destinations, board games, roller coasters, whatever. Nothing's off limits. Everyone is wrong, even when we think we are right. Whether you're looking for new recommendations or just love hearing incorrect opinions, this is the podcast for you. I am your host today, Eric Shane. With me, as always, is... Zach Rancourt. Zach Rancourt, how are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I have a slight headache, but that's okay. This usually happens this time of year when the weather shifts. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, it's not bad. Yeah, this uh, I get the same thing. This is migraine central for me. I mean, I kind of dig this kind of year, but there's a lot of apprehension too because we got you know make plans for family. We got to do some shopping. Got you know, there's stuff, and that stuff costs money. <laughs> you know who else costs money? I don't know. <laughs> Tom Lockhart, I guess. Hey, Tom. Oh, I oh. Uh, I don't get headaches, as I stated on our last podcast. It's just not something that happens to me, and I'm glad it doesn't. Well, that's good. I'm very happy for you. Everybody gets <laughs> something, though. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll just jump right into our topic today. So I want to talk about some science fiction. Science fiction means so many things all at once. It's a catalyst for creativity and inquiry, and through its creation of alternate realities, it serves as a mirror to reflect where we are today. The setting itself is a main character in any sci-fi story, as it is the all-important binding element that makes the story possible. A sci-fi show set a few centuries in the future would no doubt have to project our path forward and explain how we got to that point, whether it's a positive view of the future or maybe a totally dystopian one. Or maybe perhaps you like a book with a retro futuristic setting with like an alternative history like steampunk is blending the Victorian age with fantastic clockwork machines. Or it could depart from anything remotely related to realism in its brace of like science wizardry. Today, we are discussing our top five sci-fi settings. So to enhance our discussion, we didn't share a list with each other. By no means are we experts in this or any other category, I promise. We're just a few dudes who like to discuss nonsense. Tom, why don't you kick us off with your number one? Well, I will start off with what is a video game universe. Um, And I actually downloaded all the games today because after I made my list, I was like, you know what? I want to play all those again. And that is the Borderlands series. Oh Have boy. either of you played Borderlands? Only a little. Not much to speak on. Borderlands yes. is is a great set of games. Uh, it's a first-person shooter, but you're getting loot. So it, it gives you that, like, ah, I'm going to get stuff. And uh, all it is is you're on the planet of Pandora. And essentially, you're trying to open a giant vault that's full of just awesome stuff you know, the just theme of about every video game ever. Um, right. But the thing that uh, Borderlands has for it is, is its sense of humor and all the crazy people that are in the game, whether it's uh, Claptrap, Tiny Tina, Mr. Torg, or Handsome Jack, one of the best villains in, in everything. Um, the key to this world is, when you die, you respawn because there's a digital you station that like keeps your essence, which I just realized today because I started playing the first one a little bit before the podcast. There's character deaths in the game, <laughs> but 
one of the systems of the game is that there's like a digital you that like reforms you after you die. So I don't know why characters in the game world die when they shouldn't die because no one should die really. Right. I mean, you (laughs) you set up a whole system just to have respawns where it's like, ah, you can be respawned. But for some reason, there's some people, Nope, they're dead forever. (laughs) That's that's an interesting uh, question. I, you know, I've talked about uh, star citizen quite a bit. Um, I think it's a game that deserves to be made. I'm, I, really believe in it. I really hope it matters. But one of the things they try to do is create this immersive experience as much as possible. You have to click to open a door. You have to, everything's immersive, super immersive. It's a huge thing that they're about. Uh, Well, what happens when players die? Well, you, they try to get rid of the space magic element of it. And like, you just respawn with a clone of you, but it like basically beams your, mentality like your whole brain is like a backup it's like electronically connected to where you sit your point and so but when you're reborn you come back with like scars <laughs> so eventually there is what is called death of a spaceman where if you suffer enough in-game deaths your character just can't come back anymore so that's projected for the future we're not you know, nowhere close to that yet but i i think it's interesting that borderlands has already kind of covered that ground a little bit i didn't know i didn't realize that yeah, and uh, I just want to be in a world <laughs> where it's going to sound weird, where I could just like shoot guns at people <laughs> and just like it's an accepted thing. Don't think that I'm like a psychopath <laughs> or anything, but especially oh, okay. with the types of guns that are in there, the first one doesn't get too crazy. The second one gets real crazy with like the rocket launchers and guns that do like crazy things. It's insane once you get to the, the second game with how futuristic guns are in it. <laughs> I so it's give it that. virtually no consequence for shooting people? Uh, or, I mean... Or no. getting shot? No, there's no laws in Borderlands. <laughs> well, and okay. the big thing with Borderlands too is the loot system is is king. Like, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're constantly like, okay, I'm going to get a good gun. But that's the issue is... You can store things in your inventory and your lockers, which we typically do in RPGs, but you're guaranteed to find something better. Like you will find something better. So it's it's just like a Skyrim, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm holding on to this level two, you know, stick when I can have a, <laughs> a sword that's made of cobalt and diamond or whatever. Anyways, um, in Borderlands, yeah, you're always going to get better guns. And so you're constantly hunting for loot. Like that's that's the basis for Borderlands is is loot hunting. Um, and it's it's pretty, pretty awesome. The the gameplay is really fun, too, uh, just because it's FPS and it's it's pretty smooth for what it is. Tom's right. The interactive open world is is great with it. Um, and I love the characters and two top tier video game trailers, I'll say, for Borderlands one and two. I never played three, but if you uh, just YouTube the trailers for the video games before they came out, they were excellent. So, uh, yeah, three is fine. The story's not great, but it's still just Borderlands, so get crazy. <laughs> Waiting on that movie to come out eventually. Jack Black uh, I, is supposed I, to be Claptrap. I was looking up like stuff about it, and it still doesn't really have any updates. It's 2024. Uh, Kevin Hart's going to be in it as Roland, which makes no sense because Roland is like a, a big buff like soldier, and it's like, Kevin Hart? That's what we're going with? <laughs> I guess I guess we'll see. He's pretty buff, but he's also like four two. 
Okay. Yeah, it's going to be really weird. Uh, the cast looks awesome. A lot of character actors, but you're kind of like, huh? Okay, I, I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, and Eli Roth is directing, which is like, ah, uh, I don't, wow. I don't know if that's what I would have went with, but okay. <laughs> Anytime you have a video game series turned into a movie, it's usually not great. What are you talking about? You didn't like in the name of the king? <laughs> Good movie. Kind wait, of wait, movie. wait, wait. Bad, bad game. <laughs> You're going to sit there and tell me you didn't like Aragon? <laughs> I think that was a book, actually. That wasn't a video game. <laughs> hey, I will say. Same I deal. I know. I, I enjoyed the twisted metal that was on Peacock. I heard it was good. It was good which I did not think was going to happen because it looked and real dumb from the, we've, uh, the trailer. <laughs> we've already talked about the Warcraft movie quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Bad movie. We enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> Make love, not Warcraft. Well, you talked about a game already, so I'm going to lead into Mass Effect, which is my all-time favorite game series. Um, you talked about hunting for loot and trying to upgrade your gun all the time. Mass Effect, very, very similar gameplay. It sounds like it's more more serious than Borderlands in terms of uh, yes. just the feeling of the story. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> That's definitely the, yeah. So uh, a little bit about Mass Effect. It is set less than 200 years from now in the future. Uh, by the time we, the player, enters the story, humans have only been cruising around the galaxy for a little over like 30 years. No, just about 30 years. Uh, humanity had had a small colony on Mars, uh, but in 2148, they discovered ruins from a galactic civilization that had colonized Mars 50,000 years ago, where they observed us in our infancy. Uh, they were called the Protheans. They left behind intact technology that allowed us to harness mass effect fields that allows for faster than light travel. The idea being is that space time, you know, things with mass are anchors in space time. These planets and moons are anchors in space time. Um, and if you could harvest, if you could take the inverse of mass, you can sort of ride those gravity waves a lot faster. So the idea is that if you can do that, you have this mass effect technology. It's got something to do with dark energy. I don't know. It's a little bit of space magic. What are you going to do? Anyway, uh, we get that. Uh, once we do that, we rapidly spread across our solar system. And uh, we discovered that Pluto's moon, Charon, actually isn't a moon at all but a frozen solid mass relay that the Protheans used to launch themselves the vast distance across interstellar space instantaneously. We realized that, that relay was actually a part of a vast interconnecting network of relays, and it wasn't long before, guess what, we ran into company. Um, so Mass Effect's answer to the Fermi paradox is that we're just really far away from the next enhanced civilization, and we haven't discovered each other yet. <laughs> we're just really, really far away. Um, anyway, yeah, I would li live on the Citadel so bad. So the Citadel is sort of the center of galactic civilization. It's this gigantic space station. That's really more like a, it's more like a New York city. Really. It's just absolutely gargantuan. It's awesome. Anybody who's played mass effect three and played the Citadel DLC knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, like you said, mass effect, uh, when you talk about characters and borderlines and that's really what attracts you, it's the same for me too. The characters in mass effect, and the dialogue, that's what makes the game what it is. But the setting is what makes those characters possible in the first place. And so I'm really intrigued by Mass Effect. I, I love that series. I've never played Mass Effect. 
Hey, neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but... it is da- it's downloaded on my Xbox right now because I, it's available on Game Pass, like mm-hmm. the legendary edition where you have all all the games, but have not opened it. <laughs> we were talking to Jordan on Sunday about that. Um, we know he's listening. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Uh, he said he played a little bit of one, but he couldn't, you know, didn't really get into it enough to finish it. But um, that's fine. I didn't play Mass Effect 1 until I had already played two and three, I just sort of selected the things that happen in mass effect one, because the choices you make in the games affect the overall story. That's the whole deal. You make decisions in mass effect one, you will see sprinklings of it through two, and they will come home to roost in mass effect three. That's the point. It's very, really cool storytelling that makes the story uniquely yours. Um, so yeah, I, I played Mass Effect two. That's my favorite one of the three. Uh, I really like three. One is a little bit of a grind. If you really want to do everything, that's fine. That's how it goes. That game was made in two thousand and seven. By the time three came out, gaming had changed quite a bit. Uh, it's it's really really worth it. And I feel like by the end of it, those characters, your crew that they become basically your friends. And I mean, you, you personally, you, the player, <laughs> they are your friends. Garrus is my boy. Rex is my boy. Grunt is my baby Krogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have much to say. Cause I don't know anything about the game. <laughs> Neither do I. And I hear, but I hear people that play it, love it. So it is it. I heard the, the Andromeda wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really even give it much of a chance because it, again, it's set in another galaxy with a whole different cast of characters. And I like the characters as much as I usually play. I'm sorry, I should have silenced my phone. You think I would remember by now to silence my damn phone. But I think that was Spotify saying something about the Top 5 podcast. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay, cool. Great. Let me just silence that real quick. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. the characters really make the story. I didn't much care for Andromeda because of that. Uh, so we're going to, it's going to be really interesting when the next Mass Effect comes out because they have one more coming and apparently they're going to try to tie the two together. I don't know how they take place in two entirely different places, in literally two different galaxies in totally different time frames. Hundreds of years in the future is where uh, Andromeda takes place. So again, the setting, the setting makes is, is a main character in these stories. Um, you have the Milky Way galaxy. You recognize Earth. You recognize the solar system with our planets. Uh, everything else, even if it's unfamiliar to us as alien worlds, there's still some sort of connectivity to it because it's right here in our Milky Way galaxy. Andromeda is like a totally new thing with a totally new characters and really hard for a series to latch on to a brand new thing four games in. Right. So the new one coming out in a couple of years, maybe, is apparently trying to connect both both worlds. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but we'll see. I'm still excited. Right on. That's my number one is Mass Effect. So what about you there, Zach? So uh, the year is 2015 and Earth is invaded by aliens called Mimics and Mimics are scary. Now, in five short years, the Mimics have kind of taken over and we are in full out war. So what do we do? We all uh, surprisingly, we all we don't divide. We all embrace and join forces in the United Defense Force, the UDF. Uh, We use specialized mech suits and we go fight these Mimics to kill them. 
and so we can win. But it's not looking too promising because it's a lot of craziness. So that world is the background for the ed- the movie Edge of Tomorrow from or bleh, what year was it? From 2009 with uh, Tom Cruise. Wait, no, hold on. Fuck, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. From 2014 with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. It is based off of the manga All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. And it is excellent. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, basically, the idea behind it is what happens when, like Tom was saying with Borderlands, you get killed in a video game. Well, you get reset, but you have a new set of skills and knowledge about what's going on in those settings. So imagine Groundhog's Day, the movie, but with action. That's what Edge of Tomorrow is. And it's so goddamn awesome. Um, Tom Cruise gets, uh, you know, covered with the blood of an alpha, which allows him to repeat the day and kind of learn his his past mistakes so he can be one step closer to succeeding at whatever the end goal is. Um, The reason I love this sci fi world, and I'm calling this a world of mimics, is just the sheer fact that you could have that potential to repeat the day. Um, And I know that there was like some fuzzy math with Groundhog Day and also Uh, this movie where it's like, how long was Bill Murray trapped in that loop and how long was, you know, Tom Cruise trapped in that loop? I mean, there are things out there that say like, you know, hundreds of years because of the the knowledge that they were able to uh, attain. But I just think that that's so impressive um, that we we could live in a world that would have that, even though they are alien invaders. Um, Additionally, I think the unity of all the nations, essentially world peace in order to fight a bigger a bigger threat is kind of the cool thing. And then who doesn't like a good mech suit? I mean, come on, you we got go. mech suits and Emily Blunt being the most badass character in like film history. It's, it's so cool. Um, I love, you know, edge of tomorrow. Of course, I wouldn't want to live in a world where we're getting completely obliterated by these mimics though. No. That would suck. That but would I just suck. love the setting of it because it does draw in people from different backgrounds, all the military crews. You could tell like there's, there's SAS, there are German guys, there's like an Australian girl. There's like all these people from different countries. And so you get to see them work together with like the U.S. military as well. Um, but yeah, man, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat, if you if you didn't know. Uh, it's a great movie and it was on my list. But then I decided I'm not going to go back to back like shooting things over and over again um, because I already had Borderlands and I was like, ah, you know what? I'll throw a change up. And I went with Palm Springs, which is the same vein of movie, just doing this day over and over and over. Time again. loop movies. Yeah. And I would love to just kick back and every once in a while be be killed by uh what JK Simmons. Like, like every once in a while he'll come and murder me. That's no big deal. But I my dream is to just lounge around every day. I think I have the brain that would enjoy that for eternity. I know I'd probably <laughs> go crazy, but I feel like I would enjoy it a lot longer than the normal person. Um, I guess I could learn like crazy stuff like Bill Murray, but eh, that's about year 10,000. I think is when I'm getting around to, you know, learning how to like do brain surgery, but I would love to repeat a day over and over again. At first I wasn't going to do Palm Springs. Cause I was like, is that sci-fi? But there is some sci-fi because, like, the girl learns, like, quantum physics and how to get out of the repeating day. And I was like, that brings in some sci-fi because I'm not sure if what 
brings them into the day is sci-fi or magic. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's, like, it's definitely it's definitely like sci-fi. A, yeah. It's like a random cave that like sucks yeah. them in, and I don't I can't tell you if it's sci-fi or not because I don't know if it's science or not. <laughs> Yeah, sci-fi is a large tent, man. There's a lot that falls under that. It's okay. Yeah, like Star Wars, even though it's just a space, it's a space opera. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and that's going to lead me into my number one, which is Star Trek. And we're going to go into that quite a bit here. Uh, but you, you, you both kind of set me up on that one pretty good here because you just mentioned space magic and like Star Trek, and, and I love how Zach you talked about with Edge of Tomorrow with the uh, people having to work together. And it's really interesting in that movie, how you, we get to see it's not some distant future, like star Trek where everybody's just getting along for some reason. It's like, no, it's right now. How do these people incorporate and how do we integrate all these forces together right now to face a common enemy? I saw that a teeny bit in independence day. If you remember that, Um, but it's, it's a, it's a really strange thing to think how we could make that. We already incorporate like the U S with say Canada and the Western for, you know, Britain and the Western forces, but like the rest of the world too. Um, it's an interesting thing to explore, but star Trek, let's call it what it is. It's, it's space communism is what it is. It's just, <laughs> it, it is, it is like, look, uh, Gene Roddenberry was a man of his time. His time was the sixties, uh, the counterculture. Uh, they were dreaming big, about our future. And they were asking the big, big questions. They were asking, you know, what is the point of government? What is success in that regard? What would that look like? Could we achieve universal peace here on earth? Could we get universal literacy? What would that look like? What effect would that have? Uh, What about an infant mortality rate of zero? How about cancer just gone forever? The other debilitating illnesses, just a thing of the past. No one has to work for a wage, so everyone's free to pursue whatever fancies them. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful dream, and it was in vogue at the time, for sure. Uh, Next Gen expanded on that in the 80s, and uh, by the time Deep Space Nine came out in the 90s, our view of the future was definitely less shiny than it was in the 60s. Things had changed here uh, in America, so uh, the show started to have episodes where it would question even the entire basis of the setting of Star Trek and even had a group of people called the Maquis uh, who left the Federation and, um, and they they had reasons for that. And you just go back and watch deep space nine and learn all about it. It's a great show. Um, but there's still no doubt that Star Trek is an incredible setting that for, for wonderful stories. And I, you know, I see the value in that future. I just don't know how realistic it, it is. I mean, there's a lot of different properties out there, uh, that we're I'm going to talk about here shortly <laughs> that that examines that possibility. But Star Trek was trying to forecast a utopian vision of the future. What would happen if you know if they put on a war and nobody showed up? <laughs> what if we all got? What if all the we all collectively banded together and 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 let bygones be bygones? And could that happen? And what would that look like? And it's you know. Yeah, in the story, they have very specific reasons as to why it happened. And it had to get a lot worse than it is now before they got to that point. Um, that's just the background for Star Trek. Um, but yeah, I, I I dig that future, man. I dig that I dig Star Trek a lot, and I still do. Uh, Deep uh, Space Nine is my jam. 
I've, I've never understood how like the the no money thing works in Star Trek. It doesn't because like they contradict themselves like... all the time. How do um, they gamble at Quarks if no money? But they <laughs> they have money. They just don't rely on it. Well, then why do you have it? I mean, like... to to other to deal with other cultures that are capitalistic, and they, like okay, the Frank. Whatever, whatever you say. <laughs> I'm not saying it. They're saying it. Like. <laughs> I'm not You're defending it. For it's it. absurd. It's I'm not fighting for it. It's absurd. Okay. It's completely absurd. It's just that's the point of a dream sometimes is to be absurd. Makes no sense. <laughs> and yet I'll watch Star Trek. I mean, I told you, space whole communism world is awful. <laughs> communists had money. That's true. <laughs> they didn't get rid of money. They just centralized the um, the market. So anyway, anyway, Zach, what do you think about Star Trek? You know, I don't watch Star Trek. Um, I know some characters. I couldn't tell you a single thing other than that. Um, just because it was never my thing. I just never could get into it. I don't know what it was, but people love it. And I think that's excellent because it seems like it has a very rich history and a lore. Um, and obviously they have, you know, a myriad of spinoffs that you can continue to go with. So the world does seem so fascinating too. who doesn't love a, a, a good uh, voyage, a good journey. Yeah, well, that's the thing that uh, Trekkies in the 90s were so pissed off about Deep Space Nine. First of all, they had episodes and characters who questioned the very foundation of Roddenberry's vision. And then they took the Trek out of Star Trek. The whole premise of the show of Deep Space Nine was based on that space station. And the idea was, hey, what if you made a decision and you couldn't just fuck off to another you know, area of the Alpha Quadrant for the next week's episode? What if you had to stay here and deal with the consequences of your decision three years from now? Right. Continuity. Which, yeah, I, I find I'm intrigued by it. I like it. But yeah, I guess I'm not a very good Trekkie. I don't know. <laughs> live long and prosper i suck at liking things that i like <laughs> i'm sorry well yeah. you, you like what you like and that's it no one's Fair yucking enough. your yum all right zach what's your number two so i i took one off my list a second ago uh, as as you were talking just because i was thinking about it and i'm like you know i really like the world i just don't know how much I can go into it in the sense of what I like other than the fact that they just have Spartans. And that was the Halo world. Um, I took it off my list and Halo is my one of my favorite games of all time. But I mean, the world itself is kind of boring. I do like the idea that they can have Spartans, though. Instead, I put one that is both fascinating to me and terrifying and cool and insert whatever as adjective. So synthetic intelligence uh, by use of a U.S. strategic a global digital defense network computer system uh, by the company Cyberdyne Systems becomes self-aware. Huh. Almost like artificial intelligence, almost like it's happening now. Um, and then shortly after that activation, Skynet, who owns Cyberdyne Systems, they start going a little off the rails. And on August 29th, 1997, we get Judgment Day. And of course, I am talking about Terminator, the world of Terminator. Um, it is when all of these synthetic intelligence machines come to life and their sole purpose is to eradicate mankind. Um, but a small group of survivors, which is not that small, it keeps growing and growing, led by the resistance fighter John Connor, 
fends off these machines in the year 2020 or whatever it is, 2003. And uh, they continue to fight and they continue to rise up and so on and so forth. The Terminator series is one of my favorites of all time because it deals with time travel, but it's it's very much that bootstrap paradox. Um, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And in the sense of in the move in the first one, you know, you get Kyle Reese, who is there to protect Sarah Connor because she's the f- mother of John Connor. But really, John Connor's dad is Kyle Reese. And they had sex. And the only way that John Connor was born was when Kyle Reese went back in time. But then it's like, wait, what? <laughs> so there's like, my son yeah. sent me back in time to yep. conceive so that, him. It's that like... bootstrap paradox. And it's it's so fascinating. Um, but I really love the world. And I think it's it's a cautionary tale, too. I mean, Cameron was ahead of his time. His time. I mean, Terminator 2 back in 1991 is one of the greatest action movies of all time, bar none. And it still holds up today. But I mean, we're talking about a movie that's 30, 30 plus years old, and it's still very cautionary. We look at it and we're like, we got to be really careful, man. I love technology and I'm, I'm such a proponent for the advancement in technology. But it does get a little scary at times when we have things and I say like, you know, Taco Bell, Taco Bell, Taco Bell. And all of a sudden I open up Instagram and it's like. Hey, here's a Taco Bell ad for you. You want to know what? I wonder if there's a little bit of an inverse uh, uh, bell graph. You're going a uh, bell curve going on here, where after the Cold War came to an end, the fear of nuclear holocaust sort of dimmed a little bit. But now with the rise of and prevalence of AI and it's starting to be getting a little scarier again. <laughs> I think Terminator yes. is getting scary all over again. Yeah, it really is. And that's I guess that's what always I always think about every time I I watch the Terminator. um, And, you know, I'm a huge Arnold fan, so that helps, too. But it's uh, it would be such a fascinating world. And, you know, you want to think that Sarah Connor's crazy back in 1997, but really she's she's not. And obviously it's a lot harder to to uh, believe someone like that. But I mean, maybe just maybe we should listen to the crazy person on the street yelling about how the world's going to end for, you know, this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Just maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I think we do need to be cognizant of how these uh, machine intelligence, how they affect people. 100%. I got, I got friends in tech who are losing their careers over AI. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lot bigger discussion. I think, I think that, you know, AI, when done right, is a tool, and I think it will really, really help jobs. Um, yes, it could take away jobs, but I also would argue that it can open up jobs, too. So there, like, there are agree. two sides of the coin. It does get scary, though, for sure, when you're like, that was incredible what that just did. So yeah. you use it in the hand of, yes, it's a tool in the hand of a craftsperson. Mm-hmm. It does but get scary, though. Some so. of the jobs that are sort of data mm-hmm. or sort of specific just simple like you know things that could be repeatable um you know ai could ai is a threat ai is a threat you already got macros for a lot of this shit uh and it's not a not too long before they can start bridging a lot of that together and if it just takes just takes will to do it and the money to make it happen all I know so, is if I see a giant naked Arnold Schwarzenegger in front of me, I'm going to give him my clothes, my keys and uh, whatever else he needs. So I don't want to get stabbed in the hand or whatever he does. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds like a bad time. 
All right. Run from Arnold. That's all you need to know. Tom, what's your number three? My number three is uh, probably the book that I've read the most, uh, even more than my favorite book, Ender's Game, um, because it has a key thing to it, and that is it's actually quite short. Um, And that is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, written by Douglas Adams. Have either of you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yes. Or the or the mini sequels. Um, it's a insane world to in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where there's things like planets that make planets for people who are obscenely rich so they can have planets made for themselves. Uh, Earth is a planet made by that planet because the Earth was just a supercomputer that was trying to come up with the question of the universe and everything. The answer, of course, is 42. We just don't know the question, though. Um, And it's blown up before we can get the question, not the answer, because we already have that. Um, (laughs) But uh, it is a story about Arthur Dent, the last human, because he got off the planet, and just him going through the universe and just having really a bad time. Arthur is a very, very... Just he's just having a bad day, but this day has been going on for years now. Um, and it's just a I would love to travel the universe is pretty much what I'm trying to say. Sure. That sounds awesome, especially with all the different type of uh, aliens that are hitchhikers, the guide of the galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got is it's a funny book and I love it. <laughs> that's one of those ones that I have been meaning to read for a long time and I've just never gotten around to it. It's it's on the it's list. It's so quick. It's only like 160 pages, the first book. Like, right. it is a quick read. <laughs> you Fair can have enough. it done in a night. Okay. I don't remember much of it because it's been years since I've read it. I think I read it like in high school, and I just I don't remember much. And I saw the movie, and again, same thing. I'm like, I don't really remember much. But I know that people yeah, pretty much unanimously love it. Yeah, yeah it's people pretty quote great. it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, mov- the movie's... Eh, they changed some things and it's like, uh, they, they like shoehorned a romance in that wasn't <laughs> really there in the book. And it's just like, Shit, I hate that. They, they went up, pulled, that? They, oh God, they pulled a battle of five armies on you, huh? They pulled a, <laughs> they pulled a hobbit on you, huh? A smell. God, God damn <laughs> hobbit. <laughs> God Those damn it. Terrible. But yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I would love for them to do like movies again try again try again movie Martin or do you think it's a good foundation for like a say it, netflix it, it would series be, hbo i think that it would be a good tv show too yeah, okay. series they would could be stretch great. that unlimited like, series like hbo could be really fun with it too um, if they like like what? a last of us yeah. situation yeah uh bbc had a kind of a, a series that was like six episodes to go over and it went through like all five of the books in like six episodes, but you could definitely draw that stuff out. Okay. Well, you like the idea of gallivanting around the universe, do you? Oh yeah. (laughs) How about gallivanting around every conceivable universe? Okay. Number three for me is Rick and Morty. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Rick and Morty. You and me and Rick and Morty a hundred years. Read Rick and Morty a hundred years. Rick and Morty. Look, unlike my other selections, though, this one's actually based on our current timeline. Uh, It's obviously, though, in a totally alternate reality. Uh, Rick Sanchez is a super scientist. He's really the smartest man alive. Um, Does he use his power for good? I mean, 
not especially. <laughs> does he use it for evil? I mean, he can when the situation calls for it. He just does shit for the sake of creation and mostly for adventure. Um, he invented portal technology that lets him vault around not just Earth, but like I said, not just the universe, but every conceivable version, conceivable version of those universes. Um, it plays off of the many worlds interpretation of string theory that posits that there's an infinite number of realities all happening at once with an infinite number of you, an infinite number of me. And in a show, there's a bunch of Ricks that got together and created the Citadel of Ricks where it's, <laughs> it's populated entirely in this, of this like this huge thriving city of Ricks and Morty's from all these different realities. And there's a cowboy Rick and Morty. Oh, gee. And, and there's a, and there's a phone Rick and Morty. And like, it, the show goes out of its way to be absurd. And it's while it provides infinite meta commentary on life and everything in it. It's interesting. It's funny. It's thought provoking. It's obscene. And it's unique in that the setting is on the surface right here. And now I actually think they, I think the creators actually said it was supposed to be their set here in Washington, actually the Puget sound area, but what that, really? that, that, that varies. It just depends on the episode. Cause sometimes Morty's like a kid from the Midwest. Like it's just, I guess it depends on what reality they happen to be tuning into at any given time. Uh, oh, wow. But, but on the that. Rick and on the Rick and Morty wiki, they're, they're locally here. Um, um, so anyway, yeah, the, the family tries to have a normal life. There's a mom, there's a dad, there's two teenagers, but they've got this demigod science grandpa with a penchant <laughs> for adventure and a whole shitload of enemies and not, you know, not a huge morality curve. So, um, it's a phenomenally funny show, an interesting show, always interesting, always weird shit going on that challenges your concept of reality. Uh, I I absolutely love Rick and Morty. It's not for everybody. It's just not for everybody. But I love Rick and Morty. I think it's great. It's an incredibly divisive show. I'll say that. I, I absolutely love it. I'm with you. I mean, just before this, I was watching a YouTube breakdown on last night's episode. Um, I eat the shit up. I've been watching. They're on seven seasons now. Uh, they just did episode five of season seven. And I won't spoil anything, but it was superb. Um, I, I think that I just what... watched it right before uh, we we hit record <laughs> on this. And it was. Yes, I have to like. Yeah. This, this, wait, no, no, yeah, okay, sorry, you're right. Just connecting the dots and yeah. and everything going on in that show is so thought-provoking and so smart. Like, it's, it's too smart for its own good at times. And so that's where you get the divisive uh, viewership. Like, some people are like, I can't stand you know, when he burps all the time and he's drunk. Well, I'm like, okay, well that, that calmed down a bunch, but also that's, that's integral to his character. There are also really heartfelt moments, like really profound heartfelt moments um, that are just so good. And I love it. It's infinitely rewatchable. I've seen seasons one through four, like, you know, freaking 30 times, probably. I, I kid you not. I would just have it on repeat. Um, and, and I love it. Um, I did another deep dive to a, a YouTube video right before this where it, it did a timeline for seasons one through six. So Adult Swim, um, who puts on Rick and Morty, who broadcasts Rick and Morty, they did a timeline for seasons one through six of of where it goes because you have your Rick Prime, Morty Prime, Summer Beth and Jerry. And then there's a lot of jumping around between different Earths and different worlds, like Eric is saying, where the real Rick that we see on the show is Rick C-137. And so like then it gets kind of murky and they have callbacks to previous episodes. There's a lot of blink and you miss it moments um, that you're like, oh, that was a dope reference. So 
it's it's great. Um, I absolutely love Rick and Morty. And what Eric said about string theory, that was same thing with the newest season of Loki that just wrapped up. Um, they deal with string theory as well. A lot of writers from Rick and Morty actually went over. I shouldn't say a lot, but I think like three went over to um, to Marvel and helped write like the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and then also uh, Loki and uh, help help deal with those nonlinear timelines and time travel yeah. in general. It's um, tough so to it's, write a consistent story when literally anything's possible. Yeah. And so the multiverse, how do you um, develop stakes when you can do anything? Yeah. And multiverse can get really lazy. I think, um, I, I, yeah. I think a lot of writers are, are too lazy with it nowadays because they're starting to just hinge everything on it. Um, but, but you can still be really smart with it, like in across the spider verse and in Rick and Morty, obviously. So, yeah, well, because it just becomes an ex machina and it becomes the crutch. Like you have to have time travel. You have to, it's the only way you can, you tell these stories to where it sort of eviscerates the concept of consequences Mm -hmm. and consequences are what make your story real. It gives you stakes. You have to have stakes to have skin in the game. It has to matter. Um, I think the way that uh, uh, the Avengers Endgame did it, it worked because they set the stage for it. Uh, it's still a little bit of a cheat, but they did at least set the stage for it. Um, the it's so it's so delicate, it's so delicate. Like Zach saying, you got to be really careful. These writers tend to be pretty good. I have not seen the second season of Loki, but I really like the first season a lot. And anything that plays with the different uh, many worlds theory there is really interesting. Rick and Morty uh, off of the webpage off of uh, Wikipedia actually. Uh, the show revolves around the adventures of the members of the Smith household, which consists of parents Jerry and Beth, their children Summer and Morty, and Beth's father Rick Sanchez, who lives with them as a guest. According to Justin Royland, the family lives outside of Seattle, Washington. Weird. So, I mean, they could have just been saying that. Who knows? Yeah. You know I mean, so it doesn't matter. Just like everything else, as Rick would say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It couldn't matter less where they're where they live. Anyway, Tom, you haven't seen Rick and Morty, yes? Uh, I've watched the first season, and then I believe me and Whitney went to the East Coast, and then I didn't get back to it after that. <laughs> I just ago, for, right? I just forgot about it. Years it was ago, like, Tom. I think it, it was like so August. I, I watched so the first season, and then I just, eh, as I'll, I'll said, get back to are, it at some point. <laughs> there are moments of sweetness, and there are moments of terrible sadness that, are all made that much more poignant because of the absurdity that they're set in. Uh, it's, it's masterful. Uh, Harmon's is Harmon's brilliant. So, all right. Well, what did you, is Rick and Morty your number three? There's Zach. No, it is not. Um, okay. But I mean, I could talk about Rick and Morty forever. And if I would talk about it forever, I'm going to get parched and I'm going to need a drink of water. But sometimes I get a little too dehydrated just by because water can't quench my thirst all the time. So instead, I go and I grab a Liquid IV. Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. And their hydration multiplier is one is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning, before a daily workout, when you're feeling run down, after a long night out, and even on long airline flights. I love using Liquid IV on all my hikes, bike rides, snowboarding, and backpacking trips. 
There are 12 delicious flavors that keep you hydrated and keep your routine exciting. Strawberry, guava, lemon, lime, and many, many more. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. With three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, they are made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Best news of all is that as a listener of this show and the Don't Be Crazy podcast, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code DBCRAZYPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop for better hydration today using promo code DBCRAZYPOD at liquidiv.com. Thank you and stay hydrated. Um, I, I just bought some more liquid IV because I was out the other day and I had some beers and I'm like, damn it, my head hurts. And I realized I didn't have any and I was pretty upset I couldn't drink one. So yeah, liquid IV is very, very good. Very useful. Thanks for mentioning that again. Thanks mm-hmm. for telling us about it. And thanks for having uh, Tom and I on your latest episode of Don't Be Crazy. Uh, when we talked about Medicine Man, the Stamp Rock story. Interesting interesting podcast episode interesting documentary really great, phenomenal discussion everybody should go give that a listen 100 so for my third choice uh i gotta go to hogwarts man i gotta go to the world of harry potter who the hell yeah. doesn't like harry potter i know there are people that don't like it but i mean i grew up with these so in my formative years the books were so important to me um still some of my favorite comfort films ever i can just put harry potter on and let it play in the background and be like, Oh, I love this part. Um, just the immersion into that world is, is so wonderful. And the depths that they go into with the backstories and, uh, everything that encapsulates it is so, is so great. Who wouldn't want to be a, a witch or a wizard? It sounds incredible. So yeah, I love Harry Potter. And that's all I'm really going to say is, is the, the magical world of Harry Potter would be phenomenal. So that would be a controversial choice for somebody who is less cool than me. Nope. Uh, so it is fantasy, which is there's usually a very strict line from fantasy and, and sci-fi, but I really like the selection for the purpose of there's so many sort of fantastical inventions in Harry Potter that are sort of fantasy, uh, fantasy tech, if you will, magic tech really and mm-hmm. that and they, that they rely on and i uh i think that's cool so i definitely count it uh i'll, I'll count it just because i'm cool like that <laughs> oh i think so. yeah i mean yeah. i don't know i think uh, and the setting is interesting uh if we're going to yeah. talk about it, i mean god i yeah i know why people don't like it a lot of people don't like the author anymore she's sort of fallen out of grace for a lot of reasons uh and there's a lot with harry potter in terms of the story that on a revisit like wait how does this work why does this work do wands really matter anymore (laughs) you know i guess um (laughs) yeah you know when you look at the movies a little bit different than the books um but i don't really care that much because i will always come back down to character and dialogue and the characters are wonderful that's who we fall in love with and to be completely honest, I actually read, you know, I read something, I mean, it was 10, 15 years ago. It was about the whole private school thing. They were just like, no, Harry Potter sucks because boarding school is the worst and it's classes <laughs> and it's, you know, anti-poor or whatever have you. I don't know. Maybe that's all true. I have given it zero thought. But I don't Ron Weasley's see. poor and he still goes. <laughs> because magic. Yeah. I, I love the idea of Hogwarts. 
I don't love that it's the center of their, their entire existence. <laughs> that I love seems, it. This <laughs> seems a little weird. Oh, I love it. I think it's so great and it's so innocent and it's it's exactly what it's supposed to be. So. I want to go to Hogsmeade with you guys and go have a butter beer. Uh, you can yes, make them at home. Please. They they just taste like I don't know butter liquid scotch. butterscotch, which I know, it's a lot. I, I I would have to do like a really really small one, like a six ounce pour. But uh, yeah, it does sound tasty. I made a uh, a butter beer ice cream for our friend's wedding. Of course you did, Tom. Of course you did. Well, they're Harry Potter fans, so they asked for it. <laughs> like, which the first batch of it, it turned out real terrible to where I put too much butterscotch in it, so it wouldn't freeze. Oh, it, shit. It, like, no matter how long you left it in the freezer, it would just come out like kind of oozy, <laughs> but like in a good way. It still tasted delicious because it's just butterscotch and cream, basically. But had to do a couple tries of that to get the right ratios. <laughs> yeah. So the golden, st- I was trying to think of like the different gadgets that they had in Harry Potter. Like the golden snitch is definitely cool. Um, what was the time Turner one again? Time was, travel. Yeah. yeah. yeah time yeah. travel. But, like, but they did beat you over the head with the consequences of time travel. So at least mm-hmm. they, at least you took the time to explain that, Hey, this is not good. But then Dumbledore gives it to like basically a, a what is she at that point? <laughs> She's was like she probably thirty year? Like thirteen, yeah. She's, or she's yeah, probably like thirteen. She or 14. would have been like thirteen years old. Yeah, <laughs> a very ah. mature thirteen year old. Grant you, but come on. I mean, I'm st- I'm just gonna stick with Bill and Ted as my time travel because <laughs> just say like I'm gonna leave something here once we you know get out of this, and then mm-hmm. it's there. Like sixty nine. <laughs> Every, everything to do with the uh, Weasleys, uh, Wizarding Weezes, or whatever it is, like their candies what? and their toys. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the Weasley brothers, the uh, Weasley place. brothers. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, those are those are all mm-hmm. fantasy inventions. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I dig it. All right, cool. All right, there, Tom. What's your number four? Well, my number four is going to be pretty quick because I know neither of you have seen it because we've talked about it before. (laughs) And that is the world of Farscape, my favorite science fiction show. Um, It is about John Crichton. He is testing out a module and he accidentally goes through a wormhole. Oh, no. And and he ends up on a uh, on a biomechanoid ship, a living ship. Uh, that's a prison transport for some prisoners and the prisoners are escaping. He goes with them and it's a fish out of water. He's a human. He doesn't know what's going on. This is crazy space. Uh, it's first time we're seeing aliens and all this stuff. And it's his crazy adventures throughout the universe with, with these escaped prisoners that you find out are actually good guys and the peacekeepers, the ones who had them imprisoned were the bad guys. So it's cool. We're not out with some crazy bad people. Um, but he looks like a peacekeeper cause they look human ish. So he gets mistaken for a peacekeeper all the time. And I mean, it's just, again, going through space just sounds cool, especially when you're on the run trying to not get caught by said peacekeepers. Um, it's a show everyone should watch. There's only like five seasons. You can go right through them. It's awesome. Go watch now. Now guys go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me just go real quick. I have heard good things about Farscape. Um, I just, I, I don't know if I could get into it, uh, but I, I, I do know people that, yeah, they, they like it quite a bit. Yeah. I have End not seen Farscape. Co- yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm not seeing Sorry. I had to pause because like I had to mute it because my dog started barking because somebody closed the door like the next block over and you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. 
How dare they? Bunch of assholes. But yeah, Farscape, everyone should watch, even though it seems like no one has. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Another one everyone should watch, even though it seems like everyone has. Take my love, take my lamb, take (laughs) me where I cannot stay. Anyway, Firefly. Firefly is my number four, and I was late on the Firefly bandwagon. It was over long before I watched its only season uh, or its 2005 cinematic feature film. In a lot of ways, Firefly's setting doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) So it's an odd choice for my list here because I specifically talked about, it said, hey, let's do sci-fi settings. (laughs) It's the settings. Um, It it doesn't make a ton of sense, but I I really think we can safely chalk that up to the fact that it was pulled after only one year. Some bozo at Fox pulled it after only one year. And anyway, so the story is set 500 years in the future. And the important bit is that humans have become a spacefaring people. Um, It's unique among the futuristic space traveling sci-fi and that there is only humans, no weird alien makeup or whatnot, just, just humans. Um, So the only enemies humans face in this show are other humans. Uh, Captain Reynolds and his misfit crew exist just on the other side of the law. Uh, They were the principal crew were rebels against the Alliance and they lost. So in a way, it's a little bit anti-Star Trek in that it's like, hey, what if not everybody agrees with your version of Paradise, right? The brown coats are in Firefly, what basically the Maquis are in Star Trek, except that the story is told exclusively from the lens of those who are on the outside of civilization, right? So the crew has to smuggle and they have to deal with the disreputable just scrape by in this Goram universe, uh, as they would, as they would say, um, oh yeah, the story is in English, but apparently it's like an uh, English Chinese hybrid language. So they mm-hmm. they curse in Chinese, um, and it's a, it's a space western. So yeehaw! <laughs> Isn't it like it's only like two seasons, right, or something? One season, just one, just one season. One that's season right. And, and they made a movie, Serenity. Serenity, right? yes. Yeah. Which I I didn't know that there was a TV show. I saw the movie, and I love the movie. Just thinking that that was just, this is just a movie. This is, oh, I didn't know there was like a whole backstory. Um, yeah. And I've, I've seen every episode except for the last one. <laughs> I don't know why I stopped right there, but I know I have not seen the last episode for some reason. And now I really don't want to go and watch it because yeah. it's just like, eh, like then it'll be over. It can't be over. That's a really that's a really good um, call out that the whole crew is human because I I mean you're right there's so many times and I look at like Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy you're gonna have some sort of alien creature or something but mm-hmm. uh, yeah that is uh, that is interesting I didn't know that about it Mass Effect and Star Trek they've got alien crew members that's part of the deal it's part of the conversation uh, Firefly no just humans wow Farscape only one human in the entire like show until they get back to earth at some point but for the most part it's just one human and a bunch of aliens fair enough okay well where are we on zach on your number four do you guys ever question reality all the time (laughs) do you ever feel like (laughs) right there the whole episode everything can stop the differences between tom and myself (laughs) right there perfectly encapsulated Do do you ever feel like you're in a simulation 
Yes. Well, that really. is the world that is The Matrix. And The Matrix was <laughs> not only one of the greatest action and sci-fi movies of all time, um, it was one of the most groundbreaking movies of all time for what it did with its special effects, um, how they still are... Uh, being used today, um, how the film still looks like it looks fantastic. And it came out in 1999. Uh, and just the the ideas that it presented of, of you know, challenge authority, question what's real versus what is not real um, and look beyond what's going on. I mean, it essentially uh, dealt with the cyberpunk subgenre of science fiction, which is so interesting. It wasn't just robots and beep, boop, beep, boop. It became very cool to dress in black and and look sexy and, and all that kind of stuff. Three fantastic performances by Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves. Um, but yeah, it just it's a great it does a great job at depicting this dystopian future in which essentially humanity is kind of like trapped inside of the matrix, the simulation. And then you got the machines running everything behind the scenes and they they lean on the biblical reference that is Neo, the one, the Jesus Christ figure himself. So there are so many ideas. The movie can be picked apart and you can still find new things about it. And I freaking love it. I think it challenged the world uh, to think differently. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a whole lot to expand. I think you really hit all the major keynotes there. I, Matrix changed the world. That story changed the world. Yeah. It did. It, it changed the way we tell stories. It changed the way we perceive them. It changed science fiction. It really did. And it changed films because it allowed people to think outside the box, to, to yep. think differently about the movies that they were making. And, and it's just so cool. Absolutely. Dude, good addition. I don't I, I don't know why I didn't think about me. I'm mad at myself. I didn't think about Matrix. That's good. Mm -hmm. God, that's good. OK, well, then let's sort of wrap it up here. Let's uh, let's get to our number five here, Tom. What, what's your what's your fifth? My very last one is going to stay on theme for my last three of just going around the universe. And that is Doctor Who. Um, very specifically, I would say I would probably want to be matt smith's doctor who um i can't remember which number that is in the doctors uh but he's my favorite doctor followed by uh david Tennant. uh but yeah just you know i want to travel around in a big blue police box that's really a giant time traveling <laughs> spaceship i mean who wouldn't want that like that's just a fun going from planet to planet different time periods you can go and visit picasso something they actually do in the show uh or was it picasso or it was um yep i know it was um no god damn it was it no i think it was picasso uh, it wasn't i can't believe i can't which which one's the one who cut off his ear uh, that... Van Gogh. Uh, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. There we Van go. Gogh. <laughs> Van That's why it makes me so mad because I went to his exhibit <laughs> in Seattle and I'm like, I know what you're talking about. It was such a. Yeah. I have not seen the show. I don't mean to step on your toes. You go ahead. No, no, go. Step okay. away. I have not seen the show. And given my cross section of interests, you would think Doctor Who would be incredibly up my alley. Everything. Uh, I just. There's so much content there going back to the original version of the show that I would feel compelled to go watch. I've never and... watched a single episode of that. Okay. I started at like 2009 is when they like re upped it. 
Yeah. That's where I've watched from. Matt is Smith is a criminally here. underrated actor, by the way. You oh, do, he's so good. You're abs- he's great in the crown too. He is a really good actor. He's he's great. Um, Actually, yeah, so, what Prince Philip is that who he yes. plays? Yeah. It's one of these years I will commit to actually going through and watch Doctor Who, but I know it's going to happen. It's going to become my favorite <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> and I'm just going to judge everything based around, oh, it's not Doctor Who. Uh, bigger on the inside, though, Zach, your Harry Potter reference there, when they go to uh, the, uh, they go to the, what is the Super Bowl of uh, Quidditch? The, the, yeah, Quidditch. The Quidditch Bowl. The Quidditch, Quidditch World Cup. Cup. Quidditch Cup. Yeah. Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> and the tent. Dude, don't you want a tent like that? Yeah. I mean, for me, as someone who is a backpacker and everything, that would be incredible to bring something so small. And I mean, that they also use that, too, in the Deathly Hollows when, you know, they have yeah. a tent and it's just huge. So on the inside, like, I, I, I love it. I think out of all the things from Harry Potter, I would want. That's probably the one I would want. <laughs> you wouldn't need a house. I mean, I you want don't a broom. Need a house. I want a broom so I can. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, <laughs> I get that. But if you in a world where you could teleport, too. why would you need a broom? That's one of those contradictions. That's like, yeah, yeah. But because you can't I operate. <laughs> you can't operate until you're 17. So if okay, I was if I'll I was younger, that. then I would want a broom. Okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Completely. I just wanted to go back to the Harry Potter thing. I wanted Split, to give it. Splitting it's, hairs here. It's shrift. <laughs> it's important to me that that is we, we talk about it thoroughly. Um, yeah. Sorry, Tom. I completely interrupted what you were talking about. Oh, no, you we did fine there. <laughs> I didn't have much more to add. I mean, there's too much in Doctor Who to be bringing up anything. I mean, okay, they've got fair. really good episodes. Uh, anything with the Weeping Angels. That's yeah. good stuff right there. I mean, I've seen um, I've seen clips of it. Like you mentioned yeah. the, the clip of. Well, there was one on there about how war is ultimately really like dumb, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to sit down and talk anyway. So why don't you just skip ahead to the point where you have to sit down and talk without killing a bunch of people first? Um, yeah, that, that's dumb. a very, very <laughs> powerful. Cl- I can't remember the name of that actor who played that particular Doctor Who. <clears throat> um, uh, I'm trying to remember which one of them said that. That's the he's other the thing. Older, they all kind the of older guy. Uh, that's a uh, Peter Peter Caparelli Capaldi. or something like or, Peter Capaldi. Yeah. There we yeah. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, that that hit me. That one stays with me forever. Um, We're just a bunch of dumb apes. <laughs> in a lot of ways, we are. Uh, but it's also there's one where he's talking about like uh, somebody had conceived the idea of this vast universe. And they're just like, well, I guess we're not that important. And he's like, what the, What are you talking about? Of course you're important. You're the most important thing ever. You're you're crazy if you think you're not important. Just because the universe is huge and you're small. You're, you're massively important. Coming from Doctor Who, that's really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get into it one of these years, I promise. <laughs> on right. your deathbed. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to my number five here. And I know my brother listens to the podcast when he can. Uh, and this is the one he's, I know he's going to be waiting for because this is very much his thing that I eventually latched onto. And that is battle tech, uh, as the book series in the video game series is called mech warrior. Uh, there's reasons that they have different names, but it's the same universe. Um, it is set a thousand years in the future, just like firefly. There's no aliens. 
we have met the enemy. He is us. It's all humans. <laughs> okay. Uh, humanity has spread out across a portion of the galaxy, not the whole galaxy, but a portion of it, about 500 light years wide. Uh, initially, we set up like a Rome-like government called the Star League, and it fell as vast empires have a way of doing. And the leftover great houses were left to consolidate power across the inner sphere. So when you think of these great houses, it's sort of, I would think of it similar to Game of Thrones. Um, there's these five great houses that control just huge swaths of the inner sphere. And again, you know what? Yeah, actually, you know what? Actually, yeah, Battletech is space Game of Thrones. Uh, now that I think about it, you know, <laughs> does it have as, much, as many boobs as Game of Thrones does? No, it doesn't oh, have a lot of boobs, but it does have big, stompy battle mechs. Ooh. Yeah, big, stompy battle mechs. So combat is very much at the forefront of this reality. It's very heavy in combat. Peace is just between the houses. It's like a temporary standby to reload on one front so, so you can go fight the other house on the other front um it's 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 very combative the fighting is done with big spaceships that's true but what sets battletech and mech warrior apart is that these aforementioned big stompy robots they they command the battlefield they range from 20 tons to 100 tons um, some are quick and nimble some are hulking behemoths with enough firepower to decimate a city block um, they putter around the solar systems and planets via drop ships that um, they can travel around the solar system that way. Uh, they travel from star system to star system via jump ships. Um, so like other smaller drop ships, they'll attach to these jump ships. Jump ships sit uh, like the zenith point above a star uh, with these gigantic solar uh uh, solar sails spread out to capture as much energy as possible because apparently jumping from one star system to another takes a lot of energy what? To, <laughs> <Who would have> <laughs> to, to rip a fabric in the whole of space time and put yourself on the other side of it apparently takes a lot of energy. So these jump ships have that exact purpose. Um, it's, it's a cool setting. It's interesting setting. It, was ahead of its time. It was, it's a little bit of a, I wouldn't, I don't want to say dead because a lot of people do play mech warrior, mech warrior five, and they do play mech warrior online. Um, but it is a specific subset of gamer and books, uh, uh, and readers who, um, uh, who grew up with it, who are millennials and gen X, uh, older millennials and gen X, the newer, it's, it's kind of a dying, um, I think it's probably a dying intellectual property, uh, mm. which is a shame because it's actually really cool. There's dozens of books about dozens and dozens of books that are really, really cool. Um, the political intrigue is interesting. Uh, the setting is phenomenal. So it explores government, explores religion, it explores culture and how certain uh, houses have, uh, have captured uh, culture from now and our ancient past and sort of try to preserve them as we go a thousand years into the future. Um, it's really kind of interesting. And I wouldn't, it's my, I want to sit here and be like, I recommend you go read this book. I mean, it's at this point, <laughs> I couldn't begin to tell you which one. If David were on here, he'd tell you exactly where to go start. But he's basically telling you to go start watching Doctor Who started with the 1960s. <laughs> like it's like, yeah. You know, the content is extraordinary. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so. I remember playing Mech Warrior, and I had no clue there was even a story. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Which do you remember? Which Mech Warrior you were playing? Like, no clue. I just remember it. I remember being in the thing and shooting stuff. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it was it was made by Activision. So Activision Blizzard, they own, uh, they own it. So. Hmm. They own the, the, the copyright for this, but they own the Mech Warrior. They don't own Battletech. Battletech is owned by somebody else. It's a weird thing. I don't know. But Interesting. <laughs> it came, like I said, it came up in the 80s and 90s where internet or like computer gaming was very new. Um, it, it was a little bit of a heavy time. If it came out now, it would be huge. I think it would take, it'd be monumentally huge. It might even take over. Uh, it's a really cool, really cool set of stories. Hmm. All right, then. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. So that's my number five, Battletech slash Mech Warrior. So, Zach, what is your fifth and final? All right. Close your eyes and imagine a world of dinosaurs. How do we make these dinosaurs? Well, dino DNA. Um, it's, it's pretty easy, pretty great, apparently. Uh, Jurassic Park. Monumental movie, again, in my formative years, uh, a moral quagmire that is, wh- why is it okay for scientists to play God? I didn't get that when I was a kid, but I because I loved seeing dinosaurs, and even as an adult, I'm still blown away every time I see the T-Rex. It looks in- absolutely incredible with the practical effects, um, and it's just, it's an epic. It's told by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, Steven Spielberg. Um, you know, I love Jurassic Park so goddamn much. And I love the idea that there could be a world that could be created by science uh, for us to see dinosaurs. Um, again, along the lines of Terminator, it's a cautionary tale because during this this exploration of this park, the vicissitude is is uh, drastically affected and it changes because um, of what happens, the dinosaurs get out and greed takes over from, uh, what's his name? Wayne Knight. I always forget his character's name, but, uh, Nedry, Nedry. Nedry. Yeah. Uh, Nedry, he gets, he gets greedy and opens up the, the floodgates basically. And, and all hell breaks loose. Now the beauty of Jurassic park that I think, um, it lies in, in the dialogue for, uh, people like Ian Malcolm who question things like, I'm just going to quote it. Like he says, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it. You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves. So you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. And now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, and then John Hammond says, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done. And Ian Malcolm says very poignantly, yeah, yeah. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. And that is the beauty of this, of course, based on the book by Michael Crichton, a fantastic science fiction writer. He's posing all those questions. Ian Malcolm is posing all those questions of of we had this conversation earlier, right, about AI. Now, how much is too much? And at what point are we going to be are we going to be like, well, now you're playing God and you're wielding that power, but you're not worried about the repercussions. And that's where you get 
into those blurred lines. And so that's why this movie is so great, right? Like I'd love to be in a world where there'd be dinosaurs, but also a world where you could develop this kind of stuff that probably could cure cancers. Um, and so it's, it's just so fascinating to me. Uh, there are AIs that programs that write protein strands. Like that's incredible stuff that writes protein strands where it could take a lot longer for a human to do it. Like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's awesome. But we have to understand the, the, the power that that scientific uh, knowledge holds and really make sure that we're being safe about it. The moment you started talking about Terminator and AI and protecting and all, I was like Jurassic park, Yep. Jurassic park, Jurassic park. I hope he mentions Jurassic park and you have fulfilled my wish. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's so great. The book is, is excellent as well. Um, and it is, it's those cautionary tales that while I'm glad it's this dinosaur epic and people are going to realize that like through the yeah. years, as I got older, I was like, holy shit, it's a lot heavier than that. Yeah. And, when I watched yeah. the movie, I, you know, obviously, you know, uh, the, the main, uh, the main scientist, Dr. Grant, he was my favorite character mm -hmm. and I didn't much care for Ian Malcolm and, you know, watching it back as an adult, I'm like, okay, Ian Malcolm is the hero in this story. Yeah. He's right. hundred percent. He's a hundred percent right. It's completely unethical to even go down this road. This is crazy. It's nonsense that you can, we can probably bring back woolly mammoths right now. We have woolly mammoth DNA, not like mixed through, through frogs and shit. No, we have actual woolly mammoth <laughs> DNA because we have found woolly mammoths frozen in ice. We have blood tissue hair samples from woolly mammoths. We could clone it, but why? And where would they live? What would be the purpose? So it's, well, it's, it's unethical to, it would be unethical to do so. And, and he even says that too, when they're talking about condors, right? He's like, this isn't some species that was obliterated by deforestation or the building right. of a dam. Dinosaurs had their shot and nature selected them for extinction. Woolly mammoths had their shot and nature right. selected them for extinction. You have to let that lie. Um, and that's the, that's the problem with, with, with ultimate power. You know, that's the quagmire is, is, you know, you, at, at what point can someone rein that in and, and, and make sure that you don't abuse it? Cause it will always get abused. Absolute power again, Jurassic park. <laughs> Plus I just love dinosaurs. That yeah, too. Dinosaurs are awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that makes our list guys. So let me go ahead and uh, go down our list here. So Tom had borderlands. Palm Springs, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Farscape, and Doctor Who. I, Eric, had Mass Effect, Star Trek, Rick and Morty, Firefly, and Battletech slash MechWarrior. Zach had Edge of Tomorrow, Terminator, Harry Potter, and the Wizarding World, the World of Wizardry, The Matrix, and Jurassic Park. So thank you all for tuning in to the Top 5 Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Podcast.5, at ZachDale60, at TomTop5, and at SnackBurglar, that's me, where you can give us ideas, tell us if we're crazy, or even suggest a topic for a future episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Thank you, and remember, it is okay to be wrong, even though you think you are right. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need roads. I just found a random science fiction quote. <laughs> That's perfect. That's so perfect. It's great. Uh, <laughs> great. All right, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.